This week, it's our quarterly security money segment. But first, we welcome Eric McElpine, co-founder and managing partner for Momentum Cyber. Business Security Weekly starts now. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where we explore the business of security to improve the security of business. Your trusted source for actionable insights on leadership, communication, and innovation. Get ready for Business Security Weekly. Security can't solve crucial problems when they have to wade through thousands of alerts a day. With ServiceNow, you can easily prioritize and respond to your most crucial business threats. That way you can go from overwhelmed to under control. ServiceNow brings security, risk, and IT together on one platform. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash ServiceNow. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from zero to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Welcome to Business Security Weekly. This is episode number 136, recorded July 15th, 2019. I am your host, Matt Alderman in Colorado, joined by my co-host who is back in G-Unit Studio, Paul Asadorian. Hey, it's good to be here. Good to be back. Yeah, we missed you for the last couple of weeks. Glad you're back. Yes. Good to Security be here. Week- yes. Security Weekly is returning to Vegas this August for Black Hat and DEF CON. If you'd like to request a briefing or sponsor an interview on site at Black Hat, please go to securityweekly.com forward slash booking and submit your request. We'll also be at DEF CON. I think we're going to be in one of the villages this year and doing a few interviews over there with the community and, and getting that content back on the network. Also, some of you have told us that you're overwhelmed by the amount of content we distribute. In an effort to make it a little easier, we've uh, added the interest list. Go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe and click the button to join the list. Paul and I were just talking about when are we going to get the new website up. It has all this new filtering and sorting capability based on these interests. We're going to get that up as soon as we can, make it a lot easier to find our Yeah, content. there's a lot of code that needs to be in software that needs to be modified to do that. And we're, we're well on the way. We just got to do some more coding and testing uh, to get there with our own internal application in addition to uh, WordPress as well. So that's, it's exciting. I, I was telling Matt, I think late last week that, um, a lot of changes, but the end result, I think our audience is really going to love. I really like it. You, you know, you can go in and sort and say, I want this show and I want this topic on this show and show me all the segments that are with it. And it works really cool, really awesome. So I like it. Just got to get it all kind of bundled up and ready to go. All right, let's welcome our guest. Eric McElpine has spent over 20 years in the technology industry. Eric is the founder and managing partner at Momentum Cyber, a firm he co-founded in 2018, along with Dave DeWalt and Michael Tedesco. Prior to co-founding Momentum Cyber, Eric was founder and managing partner of Momentum Partners, the precursor to Momentum Cyber. 
Earlier in his career, Eric served as a managing director with Blackstone, where he co-founded Blackstone's Silicon Valley office and led the firm's cybersecurity advisory practice. Eric began his Wall Street career at Solomon Smith Barney and City, where he served as senior member of the enterprise software investment banking team, leading sector coverage in security. Prior to a career on Wall Street, Eric served his country as captain in the U.S. Air Force, where he was honored as the Military Engineer of the Year in 2000 for his engineering contributions to the Joint Strike Fighter program. Eric, welcome to Business Security Weekly. Thanks, Matt. I think I'm going to hire you to do that for me uh, at all my speaking engagements. That was a solid job. Thank you. Glad oh, to be thank here. you. Welcome to yeah, the show, you, Eric. I, I think you should have him do it like at the supermarket or like the movie theater. Like that'd just be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just agree. I'll just I'll just walk around wherever you go. I'll just read your bio or, or a subset of it because your background is just so vast, right? I mean, your your career and how you got to where you are. But I, I want to start with Momentum Cyber. How did it start? I, I know a little bit of the history because I've been a subscriber to. The, the newsletter and the, and the work that you do, but give the audience kind of a background on kind of where where you started and how you got to Momentum Cyber today. Yeah, thank you. No, I'd, I'd love to. You know, so many people around the globe uh, know our firm, you know, through that content. Um, it has become almost a flywheel and a mantra around here to make sure that we continue to provide high quality strategic content to the ecosystem. It's one of the ways that we really pay into the system. So many people up and down uh, the food chain, you know, in our uh, industry, uh, utilize that information and that data to make very important landscape shifting decisions. And so um, we consider it to be a labor of love now. Um, and so if anybody out there in the audience that's looking at this video uh, wants to get on our subscription list, Essentially, what you'll be getting is the Wall Street Journal for Cyber that's prepared uh, once a month. We do a mid-year update, uh, and then we do an end-of-year almanac. Uh, and so anybody who wants to do that can just send an email to info at uh, MomentumCyber.com. Um, but in terms of the, the history of the firm, Matt, you know, uh, this really is the brainchild of a few of us, uh, a camp that came from industry, and then a camp that came from a traditional investment banking background. And for the first time, we thought that, you know, very akin to what our friends on the buy side do, you've had folks like Will Lynn at, at ForgePoint and my dear friend Bob Ackerman at Allegiant Cyber, um, they have taken a very specialized approach to investing in cybersecurity on the buy side. And you can think of Momentum Cyber as the sell side or the advisory analog to that. And it was about five years ago that I saw this shift into uh, specialization really across investment banking, uh, but very, you know, in particular, technology and, and cybersecurity. I've been covering uh, InfoSec and security since the early 2000s. Um, as a firm, you know, we have uh, transacted about 50 times in the sector for a little over $15 million of aggregate uh, transaction volume. Uh, some of the very first deals with Symantec uh, and McAfee in the early and mid 2000s. Uh, but it really wasn't until this most recent decade where we felt that 
there was a need for one firm, not a boutique that had a bunch of different specialties, but one firm to really own the um, position as the go-to premier kind of trusted advisor uh, for cybersecurity. And uh, our predecessor firm, as you mentioned, the precursor to Momentum Cyber was a small boutique called Momentum Partners. And myself and my partner, Michael Tedesco, um, who sits in the office next to me, uh, were the co-founders of what, um, what we felt was a white space in technology investment banking, which was um, really world-class M&A advisors moving down market. So Michael ran the M&A group at Jefferies. He ran the tech M&A practice at, um, at Citigroup, where I worked for him. And together, the both of us have worked on some of the largest transactions in the history of technology, talking deals like EDS's sale to HP, PeopleSoft's defense of Oracle, HP Compaq, you know, just very large transactions for the likes of IBM and Oracle and Google and Microsoft, uh, Symantec and McAfee. Um, and what we saw, what we noticed was, you know, increasingly um, in a thick look down market, there was a need uh, for high quality M&A advisors, um, good board level advisors, you know, down, uh, down market. And so that was our original thesis. And about two years into that journey, uh, through some common connections, and we were doing a lot of work in cybersecurity, um, but it wasn't the only thing that we did at Momentum Partners. And a couple of years into that, it was uh, the summer of 2017, um, I got a call from Dave DeWalt. And uh, Dave had retired from industry after running, you know, sort of the, the who's who of cybersecurity companies. Uh, his reputation uh, needs no introduction. Um, you know, offered, uh, offered Michael and I, um, you know, his thesis, which was there needed to be advisors and operators working under one umbrella to help his peers, CEOs at some of these big companies, some of the little companies, some of the startups that he advises make better decisions. And so uh, we felt the same way. And in January of 2018, we relaunched Momentum Partners as uh, Momentum Cyber, uh, the premier advisor exclusively focused uh, on the cybersecurity ecosystem. And then uh, there uh, is a sort of a, uh, what I would consider to be a very important uh, nuance to the way that we advise companies. Uh, we have a model here, which uh, we call lifecycle advisory. And what is lifecycle advisory? Most people, uh, you know, just assume that investment bankers are, are there for the end, right? You're there for the big exit, uh, the big outcome. If you hire an investment banker, you put a for sale sign on the company. Um, and so while, you know, there's positive connotations to working with advisors, there can be negative connotations uh, as well. Uh, and we wanted to dispel um, a lot of that in, in that, you know, there are companies throughout their life cycle that could use um, ex, you know, board level experience and advice, uh, whether that's operational advice or from folks who have advised boards on, um, you know, matters of strategic importance, raising capital, um, whether to, you know, uh, uh, acquire companies, uh, whether or not you're hitting that fork in the road and now is the time to consider an acquisition yourself, um, what have you. Uh, and in cybersecurity, the 
the, the exit can happen at any time. It can happen very early in the life cycle of a company, the Series A, the Series B, the Series C. You can do it when you're public, much later stage. Um, but along that journey, you're really heads down focused on building the business. And so what is Lifecycle Advisory at the end of the day? It's our service offering to help companies grow and scale throughout the life cycle and ultimately to maximize that outcome, that exit, whether that exits in the form of a trade sale of the company um, or taking the company public. And so activities that we get involved in that are just a little different than your average bear in our world would be helping companies with go-to-market, channel, alliances, business development, and then start, start thinking corporate development, strategic development, and, and the exit path. Eric, so that's I, what moves cyber in a nutshell. I, I, have a question, I have a lot of questions, actually. Um, but my first one is, I, I think since like the dot-com boom, right, when I look at cybersecurity today, I, I haven't seen, other than in cybersecurity today, a lot of really early... Uh, acquisitions like I've seen you mentioned series a like I've seen some companies that are like barely seed funded get acquired and a lot of that's like based on the technology I'm looking at like wow they have really cool tech great team and all of a sudden they're acquired is that typically a good thing or bad thing or like it's not that polar of like good or bad right like what's the deal with really early exits yeah it depends um and typically, if you're getting acquired that early, it's for the team and the technology. Mm -hmm. Let's face it. Uh, you know, two years ago, we helped a company called WebLife. Uh, they exited to Proofpoint. The company had raised three and a half million dollars. Right. The uh, the transaction was a sixty million dollar deal. We're talking about a seventeen times return on invested capital in under eighteen months. That's a fantastic and phenomenal return. The founders still owned uh, nearly half of the business, mm -hmm. and so from a um, life change, you know, from a from a life event that was certainly life changing for him and his family. Uh, the team was very small at the time, so he was able to spread that wealth around. Uh, so, and, and he had done something that was very novel and proof point. Gary Steele and David Knight, the new Sharon, they they all saw that and saw that opportunity, and then um, it became part of the you know the the. The art of negotiation. How do you value a company that has less than a million dollars of revenue? Right, right. That's the fun part. Yeah, that's the fun. <laughs> yeah, I get out of bed every morning uh, thinking about uh, that puzzle and my clients and um, changing their lives. Right. Now, when you say down market, you mean you're working with smaller companies than traditional? And like, how do you how do you define smaller if if that's the case? Great question. So we take the market and we look at companies below $100 million in terms of what their exit outcome is expected to be. Yep. We look at companies in the 100 to $500 million range. So think of it as a pyramid. Mm -hmm. You've got below $100 million and that mid band is 100 to 500. And then above that, at the tip of the sort of try, you know, the tip of the pyramid would be greater than 500. And just to give you some statistics here so you can understand the size of that um, pyramid, year in and year out, there are about 175 to 200 deals in our space. How many of those are going to be greater than 500? Typically 10 to 12. Mm -hmm. How many of those are going to be greater than 100? About 30 to 40. The rest are below $100 million. Mm -hmm. uh, so that gives you a sense of the size of the marketplace. We believe, uh, and that, you know, one of the reasons why 
we felt like there was a need for a brand new firm in this space solely focused on um, this opportunity is it in that middle band of 100 to 500 that's considered to be typically somewhere between you know hitting a double and hitting a grand slam in cybersecurity investing mm. and so that's the part of the market that we're predominantly focused on when companies get acquired there's a lot of things that that can happen is that and i think me personally like i like to see a company go to ipo and i i feel like that's like the greatest success but that's not necessarily true either right eric <laughs> not by the numbers paul yeah so, it's true you know, uh, year in and year out you know it's a fantastic year in my space if you know we see somewhere between you know three to four companies go public in cybersecurity in a particular year we're like sure. wow um, you know, five last year. I mean, that was a that was a record. We've had two this year. Uh, one uh, very public. It's so far the most successful IPO um, in the history of cybersecurity capital markets. CrowdStrike. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also another smaller IPO out there that um, I don't think as much people pay attention to. But from a performance standpoint, uh, they're performing almost as well. And that's a small company called Tufin. Both of these companies are up uh, nearly 100% um, over their uh, uh, over the price that they price the IPO at. Right. Yeah, we cover we cover obviously both of them. Tufin is actually a sponsor on one of our programs, and we, we did cover yeah. their IPO last quarter uh, when they went. Um, so I agree with you. I mean, the CrowdStrike IPO was phenomenal, one of the best IPOs in our space. So I, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of these trends, right? Will we see a couple more IPOs this year? If we do, who are they, right? Tanium has been sitting around there for, for a while, dabbling uh, in the IPO market. I'm curious, Eric, kind of what are you seeing on the public side with potential IPOs? And at some point, I want to talk uh, a little bit about funding and some M&A activity as well, kind of what you're seeing. Yeah, I'll get to both of those. I don't think I actually answered Paul's question, though. I got... Uh, sidetracked on talking about the two the two the point I was trying to make is you know so far this year Paul we've had two highly successful one very big mm -hmm. one smaller IPO but year-to-date we've had almost 100 M&A exits in our space and at this pace will hit 200 um, which will set a record and uh, you know when you took you look at that the the, the chances of, of you taking your company you know, full stop from seed funding to A to B to C to D to crossover to, you know, eventually taking it public um, are about, you know, one in a thousand. Mm. And, and, and if you look at the opportunity to, to, uh, to make a nice return for, uh, for investors, but there are also two other constituents, right? So there's the investors that everybody's focused on, or they are focused on themselves. Uh, but then there's also... You know, are you doing good for your customers? Is this a great outcome for, you know, um, the CISOs that are using my product? And is this a great outcome for employees? And mm -hmm. our focus at our firm is to only work on deals where all three of those constituents are, are happy at the end. Well put, um, Eric. Well put, the, yeah. the fact of the matter is you have a one in a thousand chance of taking this thing public. Um, but if you build a great company, uh, no doubt you'll get interest either from a strategic acquirer or private equity. Agreed. Yeah. I, you know, uh, sorry, Matt, to, we're now going in, in different directions, but um, 
with uh, Duo Security being purchased by Cisco, to me that was one of the the biggest M and A deals in cybersecurity. Is that true? Dollar amount uh, value. One of the largest recent deals in cybersecurity. The uh, transaction value, if I recall, was two point three billion. billion. Yep. So far, uh, Dave's sale of McAfee to Intel at 7.7 is still the, yep. the, the largest deal. There was a uh, recent rumor, uh, as we're all aware, and it's very well publicized, um, about Symantec uh, and Broadcom, which would have um, far overshadowed that. But uh, so far, that's the largest deal. But yes, a couple billion dollar deal yeah. in any particular year is uh, by far one of the largest deals. And, and to me, that was highly successful. Everything that I've read about it, everything customer of Duo that I've talked to, employees, uh, it's just been positive all around. Like you said before, you know, investors, employees, owners, and and customers are all happy. It seems like. And acquire right the fourth yeah. constituent. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so yes, uh, Cisco. My friends at Cisco are very happy and very pleased with that deal. That deal was a couple years in the making. And it actually took a year to get done. Uh, certainly didn't happen overnight. It was uh, very well calculated and, and very well orchestrated and, and executed. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Matt, Which, you had a different line of questioning that I don't want to lose, lose track of. No, I, I mean, uh, while I've got Eric, right, I, I'm curious on trends. What else mm. is coming, right? Because we've seen some interesting, Duo was a great exit. I think Silence to BlackBerry was a great exit last year. Mm -hmm. um, Obviously, the semantic Broadcom deal could could be huge, right? Um, I, so I, I do want to get some insight on the public market and the private market from Eric on what else we're going to see, right? Do do we see another couple IPOs this year? Kind of what that trend looks like, who they potentially are, and then I want to talk on the private side funding and some M and A activity. Mm. Sure. Well, let, let me start with the uh, the IPO uh, pipeline. So here's here's the IPO pipeline that we track. Um, companies like Centrify, Cloudflare, Darktrace, Exabeam, Palantir, Pindrop, I don't know if you know that company and based out of Atlanta, uh, fantastic company, Ping, uh, Sumo Logic, which is killing mm -hmm. it. And then lastly, you mentioned Tanium. So there are, you know, and, I, and I, there are a few that I haven't mentioned that could very well be placed on um, your personal IPO backlog so, or, or pipeline. Uh, but these are all companies that uh, could uh, go public in the next 12 months. And I believe that at least two, if not three of them, will be public in the next 12 months. That's good. Awesome. So that means we've got a really good pipeline of IPOs. We do. And we've got a really healthy uh, capital markets backdrop uh, to keep it up. Uh, we're going to have an interesting uh, year next year in terms of it uh, being another election cycle. Um, so that's all, uh, always makes things a little bit trickier. But uh, in terms of the fundamentals, they're all pointing towards another two or three of uh, these high quality IPOs. Yes. Yeah. And typically we would start to see that um, in the fall as we're getting closer to the election, which means we have at least a good 12, maybe 14 month runway potentially. That's correct. And, and I'll say this, um, you know, uh, Cybersecurity is, uh, is not a partisan issue. Uh, both sides of the aisle fundamentally believe that this is a problem that we're all tackling uh, and that they all both care about. So um, there are issues where I feel like an election cycle could um, have you know, great impact potentially on whether or not a company goes public. 
you know, certainly if you were a company in the social space, for example, given all the data privacy issues that uh, Facebook and some other companies are tackling, but um, we need, you know, we need strong public cybersecurity companies out there in the marketplace. Yeah, agreed. We agree wholeheartedly. Uh, so where do we see so some interesting investments last quarter, which we'll cover on the next segment in detail, but there's still some good funding rounds coming out. I think there were almost a half a dozen at 100 million plus last quarter. Um, so, you know, where, where do you see funding going from here? Yeah, there were 11 over $100 million uh, year to date. So maybe there were half a dozen last quarter. But so far, we've seen, um, you know, almost a dozen capital raises of over $100 million. Uh, we're, we're <laughs> so far, we're about $5 billion of investment into the sector through the middle part of, of July, right? Last year, uh, we had $7 billion, just under seven, six, eight, uh, the whole year. Uh, I called the peak last year. I called the peak the year before last. So um, I'm just going to continue calling the peak because apparently I'm continually wrong in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, there just certainly seems no, no end in sight. What we're seeing as a trend, though, towards larger rounds. And when I say larger rounds, I don't just mean the $100 million nine-figure round that sort of captivates us all when we read TechCrunch. But um, even as I talk to my you know, Series A and Series B investor friends, they're taking a bit of a more concentrated approach into those companies that they really believe in. And so there's um, a less appetite to just kind of take a fund, an early stage fund, and you know, spread it as wide as, 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 as investors did a few years ago. When we look at the data in each one of the different series, A, B, C, or D, we're seeing uh, a trend towards higher quality companies, a higher screen on those investments and, and larger deal sizes. Uh, but we certainly expect uh, the transaction flow to, um, to stay strong. Um, identity, uh, there have been 27, I'm reading some notes here in front of me, uh, almost 30 uh, deals in identity this year. Um, you know, the, the idea, we still haven't killed the password, but there's companies out there yeah. uh, trying to do that for us. And so, you know, um, we see a really healthy uh, private market for, uh, for cybersecurity for some time to come. Nothing's slowing down. New funds are forming. And I think if you look at that, you know, LPs are, are you know, even though they have plenty of opportunity to put their money into existing funds, the KKRs and the Blackstones, my former firm, you know, um, and there's great funds up and down Sand Hill Road and in Boston and in the Beltway. We're still seeing new funds form um, that have a cybersecurity only thesis. That's good for the for the industry. You know, we know the big three that we always talk about: Allegis and mm -hmm. ForgePoint and, and ClearSky. And then you start to see others start to come in l later rounds, right? Ten Eleven and Bessemer and, and and a number of those folks. You know, taking more concentration in, in the later deals. And and I think the other thing, Eric, I'm starting to see a little bit is I'm seeing bigger A's, right? I mean, back in the day, A's were. You know, maybe three to five million. I, I think the Edgewise one was like eleven million. I'm also seeing some bigger A's. Is that because they're concentrating on fewer, higher quality, and then giving them a little longer runway to execute on the Series A? 
there's actually you said you mentioned three, uh, but there's I, I call them the five horsemen. So <laughs> there's five wow. companies. There's five funds uh, that specialize in cybersecurity that sort of captivate us, um, and that's the three that you mentioned: ForgePoint, uh, just terrific people, great fun. Allegia Cyber, Bob and Spencer, amazing fun, amazing people. Uh, Clear Sky with uh, Alex and Peter and, and, and Jay. Uh, but then there's two more. There's 1011 with uh, Alex Dahl and Mark Hatfield. And, uh, and then Night Dragon, which is uh, Dave DeWalt's fund uh, with, uh, with Ken Gonzalez. So those are the, the next time you mention those, mention the five horsemen, Mark. I, I knew Night Dragon because Dave and, and Ken and I had were at GCIS. We had that conversation. I, I forgot to mention him in the mix. Is ten eleven because I always I'm I was used to seeing ten eleven a little later. Have they moved a little earlier stage on the on the cyber side now fully? Uh, they 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 do A's um, and B's, so they 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 do early. Uh, they just invested in a YL company. Um, I think it was Vulcan Cyber, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. So that was the that was that was a seed funded by YL Ventures, Yoff Leadersdorf, and uh, an Ofer Schreiber. So they will take, um, you know, some early stage investments. But one of the things that um, that I that I've seen some of these cybersecurity focused VC funds do very well, which is um, to take so some of them just have an extraordinary amount of of, of intellectual capital and intellectual property around uh, cybersecurity, right? Just the talent that they have, uh, either in house or access to that the large funds just aren't going to do on their own. So the, the big funds being an Excel or KKR or Blackstone. And so you've seen two camps form already. Um, you've seen companies like uh, 1011 um, team up with KKR uh, so that they can kind of stretch up and, and write bigger checks in a, in a syndicate. And ClearSky has done the same with Blackstone. No surprise there with Jay being um, uh, a fellow Blackstone alumni. So um, I thought that that, that um, uh, that's been pretty interesting to watch. Yeah. Eric, you also I, have, oh, I was just going to ask, we're talking about the di different types of funding and different, um, you know, investment firms. How much does your technology decisions as the founder play into it? Right? Like I, I put on the role, my CTO hat here at, at security weekly and every day we're making technology choices, right? Which cloud we're going to be in, what platform we're going to build our product on, how much does that matter versus like just the end result, right? In terms of intellectual property and the problems you're solving for your customers. Yeah, much more the latter. Uh, it's not my experience that investors um, are either capable of or are going to um, find that their value add to you is to help you in some of those architectural decisions. I mean, they're really betting on you and your mm -hmm. experience uh, to do that as the founder. Uh, many, most of the founders in our space are technical mm -hmm. in their background, right? I mean, certainly investors are gonna shy away from a company if you are gonna build it on legacy architecture. Um, they're sure. almost always entirely focused on modern architecture these days. Mm -hmm. But the decision to be an Azure versus AWS yeah. or Google Cloud, mm -hmm. Um, I haven't seen, and, and maybe it's maybe there is a case out there I'm not aware of, where an investor uh, told a company that uh, their their capital was conditioned on going in one one of those three directions. 
Yeah, it's more about how you solve the problem best for your customers, right? Whatever technology you're using, it's you got to prove that you're solving it for those customers, basically. And is there a large enough end market, yeah. right, for that? Uh, mm-hmm. For you know, for for that offering, is it a platform? Is it a feature, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what is the sales cycle for that? So there's a th- litany of questions that are asked by investors that get them excited about unit level economics uh, and the like. Um, you know, much more than. Uh, so, some of the tactical architectural questions that um, maybe on, on, on one's brain. Yeah, I think when you're choosing technology, certainly one of the things that I've seen companies that are successful have in common is that time to value for the customer. Doesn't matter how you get there, but the deployment cycle and the amount of time that, you know, from initial uh, deployment to generating value for the customer is huge, right? Yeah, that, that you said time to value, um, uh, you know, time to deployment, mm-hmm. you know, just the ease of deployment. Can this be downloaded? You know, we, have, we there are platforms out there um, where you know, take a sort platform, right? I don't know if you're familiar with that category, but security orchestration, automation, and response. This has become um, a critical component to a next gen security operations center, right? Mm-hmm. We don't have enough tier one and tier two analysts, or the tier one and tier two analysts are being overloaded and bombarded by, you know, alert fatigue, for example, um, or phishing attacks, right, which is a great use case for, for a SOAR platform. Can we automate the workflows of those? Now, that is a pain point that everybody in the world has, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if there is a, a problem within your security organization where, you know, if there's a particular pain that can be solved by downloading a piece of software off of the internet and getting going uh, in that day, you know, and then basically being up and running in a week, that is tens, that is going to win out um, more times than not than a product that has a heavy uh, services motion with it, where you need people on site for for days or weeks. Mm. Uh, So certainly that is is an important criteria. And um, the more that you can make, you know, that time to value argument uh, and make it easier for the customer to deploy, um, and uh, typically the greater success you may have in, uh, in winning that customer over because every category has got competition. It's true. Right. Yeah, we've seen some interesting activity in the SOAR market, you know, starting last year with the Phantom acquisition and then Demisto. So we've seen definitely some interesting stuff there. there Two there's big another raises this year, Matt. So also yeah. mentioned Simplify and, uh, and yep. Swimlane. Yeah, so. Swimlane. Yeah, yep. I mean, Cody's Cody Cornell from... Swim lanes just up the road from me. We we have conversations often, right? So yeah, you've got some other, a uh, couple independent players still out there. Yeah, there's uh, a couple well that are in the works too. That's uh, I can't say much more than that, but uh, there are a couple more in the works. We've also seen some interesting movement from private equity. You talk KKR a little bit, um, but Tomo Bravo's been doing some interesting stuff as well. How how do the private equity firms play in here? Um, longer term, and kind of what's their strategy, and how is it different than the VCs, or is it different? We have this meme in our shop, Matt, uh, that uh, private equity hearts cybersecurity, <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. just they're they're here to stay. Uh, and I think of it um, as a as as a great thing. Um, it's the sign of a maturing market. Uh, it's a sign of an evolved market, and uh, and certainly they play an instrumental role in uh, companies who need to, you know, either innovate uh, or restructure uh, in a private setting and come out at the end of that 
a, a much stronger company. Take a, a Blue Coat, for example. Um, but yes, Toma Bravo, wow. I mean, is there not a company in our space that they can't take private? <laughs> Seems like they're doing every deal these days. Um, you know, I think that at one point in time, like, look at uh, our friends at, at Vista. Vista not only has their large flagship funds, which are doing, you know, some of these very large take privates, uh, but they're also, they also have uh, a smaller fund called their Endeavor Fund. And they just raised a second fund for Endeavor. The first one was, I think, 650 million or 600, 560, something like that. Uh, but the second fund they just raised was $850 million uh, to do smaller software deals. And security is a big part of their thesis. That's great. Yeah, I mean, the, just the acquisitions um, and Perva and uh, just a lot of very interesting moves from private equity. And I, it, so to your point, that means we're becoming mature as an industry because private equity is here and here to stay. I think that's a good thing for, the, for our industry. And, uh, and another uh, phenomenon that we're, we're seeing too, Matt, uh, that I think is just another you know, um, barometer for health in our sector, which is this idea that you know, private equity can now acquire companies at pretty good prices, competitive prices from VCs, right? So that VC to private equity crossover for the longest of times, you would never see a venture capital um, syndicate in cybersecurity sell to private equity because there was just this notion, well, they pay low prices for public companies that where the public has gotten tired, right? Uh, and, and so that's no longer the case. I mean, uh, look at, you know, gosh, I guess the best recent example is Insight, you know, paying a very strategic price for recorded future. Um, yeah. But uh, you, you had, you know, there, there's just, you know, Madison Dearborn, which is not a name that we talk about that often in our space, you know, buying Blue Cat Networks. So, you know, from uh, from ForgePoint, which used to be Trident Cyber. So there's a lot of examples of that crossover, and we're seeing that more often, too. That's interesting. Paul, any additional questions for Eric while we have him here? Eric, the, the data that you have uh, available today uh, from your company, um, I'm assuming there's like you can subscribe for free to some of it. Uh, who's the audience and what decisions are they making based on the data that you provide? Yeah, that's a, a good question, Paul. I'm going to I'm going to plug the team that does this. You know, we have a we have a bullpen out there that, you know, just really lives and breathes and breathes security as a culture. Mm -hmm. um, they maintain a proprietary platform for us called CyberCloud. CyberCloud has now over 1 million uh, unique categorized data points on the sector, everything from funding uh, to M&A to multiples to employee headcount to revenue. A lot of this is very proprietary data that we've collected uh, over the years. And the UI to that, or the public, you know, what the public sees is these reports uh, that we publish on a periodic basis. And the audience for those reports are, you know, originally was the C-suite, mm -hmm. but we found that chief security officers who are now part of the C-suite, you know, folks that are in the security organization, investors, you know, um, a broad swath of, of folks, uh, government, uh, you know, had um, a liking to the content as well. Um, so, you know, we've open sourced it. It's free. Uh, the audience now, you know, is upwards of 20,000 folks receive this content. Uh, so if anybody wants to, I think I gave the email in the, in, in the, in the intro, but just info at our, our website, uh, or you can go to the website and there's a tab there called the Intel stands for intelligence. 
And in the Intel tab, you can see categorized content. Uh, we do a lot of our other, other interesting content as well. Uh, we recently wrote, uh, co-authored a white paper uh, with our friends over at Optiv. That's a partner of the firm. They have a unique set of data. You know, they have all this channel data, right? right. Uh, where we have all the strategic data. So for the first time, you know, we co-wrote co a, a piece um, on on the SOC with them. So we'll do these one-off kind of bespoke uh, um, uh, research pieces uh, from time to time. But uh, this is our giving into the ecosystem, to the community. We give all this away. You have to pay us for our strategic advice. Gotcha, gotcha. And, and so, I mean, for security companies that are looking for competitive intelligence on, on their specific sector, I would imagine be useful for that purpose as well. We do. We do sector deep dives. So uh, for every subsector uh, within the ecosystem, I don't know if you can see it behind me. I'm going to turn my, uh, yeah, that may be a visual that uh, your audience has seen. Uh, yeah, many. I think I've seen that before. That's really kind of what put us on the map Yeah, was making the map. We created the map. Mm -hmm. And so that's called the cyberscape. And so the cyberscape is a taxonomy where we did it for ourselves first. And then we shared it with our, 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 our closest clients, uh, which was to be able to have that board level conversation about what's going on in this very complicated, noisy, messy ecosystem. And within each in, within the cyberscape, there are categories. There's about 25 um, primary categories and about 50 subcategories. And uh, we write specific pieces on the primary and, 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 um, and subcategories. You can see them in the content. That's awesome. Paul, yep. I've been using the data. We used mm -hmm. it when we were running competitive at Tenable. Yep. I've continued to subscribe to it. I use it as one of my data sources for this show, which is the Security Money Show. And I think a lot of people can get a lot of value out of what Eric and the team has uh, published. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on Business Security Weekly. Matt, Paul, it's a pleasure to be here. I had a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. We'll take a quick break and then cover our security money updates from last quarter. The modern attack service is vast and permeable, extending from the data center to the cloud and device edge. Security teams are stretched thinner and thinner as they try to cover this ground. The result? More high-profile breaches hit the news every day. Don't let your organization be next. ExtraHop delivers security from the inside out, helping enterprise security teams detect threats up to 95% faster and cut staff time to resolve by two-thirds or more. Act with confidence. Learn more at extrahop.com forward slash security weekly. Let the team at Black Hills Information Security test your defenses. With over 10 years of experience in penetration testing, red teaming, and threat hunting, the testers at Black Hills will help you find the holes in your security before the bad guys do. The team at Black Hills cares about educating and sharing their knowledge by creating countless blogs, open source tools, and webcasts for you to learn more about the tradecraft of pen testing and red teaming. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash BHIS to join their mailing list and view the latest blogs and webcasts from Black Hills Information Security. Keep your company and products relevant, competitive, and reliable by standardizing your security framework to protect intellectual property, become a reliable business partner, and guard financial and customer information. Standards Connect is an online standards management solution from ANSI. It's standards access simplified. Standards Connect is a cost-saving, fully customizable solution for entrepreneurs and companies that spend $2,000 or more per year on standards and want to translate spend into a subscription model, want to simplify access, search, monitoring, and collaboration, 
application or need a centralized hub of standards for multiple users at one or more locations. Get a free trial at securityweekly.com forward slash ANSI. That's forward slash A-N-S-I. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian. These days, it's rarely a case of if you'll be hacked and more a question of when. Once the attacker is past your defenses, they cover their tracks and systematically infiltrate your network to steal information or shut down your business. You need to rethink the way security is delivered for your digitally transformed business, and there's one security solution that delivers it all, NetScout. Get visibility without borders for consistent detection, mitigation, and prevention across any network, data center, cloud, 5G, and more. Learn more at securityweekly.com forward slash NetScout. Security Weekly will be at Hacker Halted in Atlanta, Georgia, this October 10th and 11th. EC Council is offering our listeners a 15% discount to sit for any of their bootcamp courses or workshops. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Hacker Halted to register now. Also, register for our upcoming webcast with ISC Squared and Security Weekly's very own Evaluating Security Vendors Without Losing Your Mind by going to securityweekly.com forward slash webcasts. If you've missed any of our previously recorded webcasts, please visit our on-demand library at securityweekly.com forward slash on-demand. All right, Paul, we had a great segment with Eric kind of going over the different trends in our space. Uh, this is a chance for us to update everyone kind of on, all right, a little more of the details, what happened last quarter. Um, so we'll get into it. Let's do it. All right, cool. So uh, I posted the graphs on the wiki. So anybody who wants to see the graphs, uh, as you, everyone knows, I, I tracked this uh, Security Weekly 25 index. It's the top 25 security pure plays. Um, that means Cisco, Synopsys, a few others aren't on this list or on this index because they aren't pure play security vendors. And every quarter I kind of update you on, on where's the index and, and how it compares. So the index closed at uh, 1,157.83 on Friday, July 12th, which is an increase of 15.78%. But that's down from last quarter. The the markets took a little bit of a hit uh, with the trade wars and the security market at the security index is down. What's interesting is the NASDAQ's fully recovered. So the NASDAQ closed at 8,244.15, which is an increase of 24.25%. And that's up from last quarter. Oh, so the, anybody, red, the red is the NASDAQ. Yes. And uh, so what you see in the graph is you start to see the separation yes. of the NASDAQ to the blue line, which is the Security Weekly Index. The NASDAQ so has been, been recovering better. Yeah, performing better and recovering uh, at a higher rate than security. Yeah. And on Friday, I think all the indices hit records highs, mm -hmm. uh, but the Security Weekly 25 Index has not fully recovered yet. So the security market's a little uh, been muted a little bit in this last um, rebound. So I, I just thought that was interesting is we it, it, early on in the index, we saw some interesting separation between the NASDAQ and the index. This last quarter, you really see it mm -hmm. um, in, in the tracking. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, let me give some summary of earnings from Q2. Now, results posted in Q2 are for Q1 of 2019. Mm -hmm. 
And revenue beat by 1.25% on average, but that's, again, down from last quarter. So we're seeing a little bit of a slowdown on revenue beats. We're also seeing the same thing on earnings beat. Earnings beat was 12.64% on average, uh, also down from the previous quarter. So I think part of the reason, Paul, the indexes struggled a little bit to fully recover is we saw a little bit of suppression in both revenue and profit from Q1. Uh, And so some of the uh, stocks have not recovered at the same pace. Does that have to do with deals closing in Q1 in security? Yeah. I mean, there's so, so that many would, factors, right? But Yeah. So we saw a really good Q4. So yeah. here's what happens potentially at the end of the year. Hey, got a deal. Let's get it in. Let's get it closed. You know, make some incentives. Get it closed. Well, that takes part of your Q1 pipeline and potentially mm. brings it down. So that means maybe Q1 wasn't quite as full of deals because you pulled some of those into Q4. Yep. Q4 was a really good quarter for a lot of, mm. on the index. And so, yeah, that's potentially part of it. Now what you're doing is you're rebuilding those pipelines. So it'll be interesting yeah, so as we move yeah. forward, how are, are we seeing acceleration of revenue and profit or not? There's a couple companies turned the corner from a profitability perspective, mm-hmm. which I thought were interesting. Uh, SailPoint and Rapid7 both turned a profitable uh, in those quarters, that's huge news when it comes to our industry. Because if I'm an yeah. investor, I'm looking for profitability. Mm-hmm. Only 11 of the 25 companies tracked in the index are currently profitable. Um, and so I'd like to see more mm. of the security companies turn into that profitability range. I think that creates a longer-term investment opportunities for those public companies. Cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, I also crab all the analyst dating, right? Right. So all the analyst ratings. Average was 1.46. Now that's actually stronger by signal than last quarter, and that mm-hmm. may be due because some of the companies, you know, took it a little harder in Q4. Uh, there's a couple companies that are stronger by ratings now. Sophos, for example, who mm-hmm. has missed the last couple quarters, has a stronger buy rating right now. Uh, and there's a couple others. So the best rated by the analysts actually are Verant, which we don't talk a lot about Verant. Mm-hmm. We don't see a lot of news on those on those folks. Mm-hmm. Followed by Rapid7 and Radware. Again, Rapid7 turning profitable last quarter. Yeah, made an impact with... Improved their analyst ratings. Analysts, we mean investment analysts, not Correct. industry analysts as we typically use the term analyst on the show, right? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, and, and Rapid7's market cap is actually ahead of Tenables now. Um, and a lot of wow. it has yeah, to do. Yeah, so they've been doing really well lately. Yeah, they have. They've mm. been doing really, really well. Awesome. Uh, worst rated uh, is SecureWorks, followed by Symantec and F5. Now, SecureWorks surprised me a little bit. I, I, I personally like SecureWorks from a, look, I need managed services. I think the small to medium enterprises are going to continue to look to managed security service offerings to help augment um some of the things they do just because they can't get the staff potentially. Uh, but it's not rated well by the industry analysts. Right. Uh, and those can semantic- be two totally different things in terms of whether or not SecureWorks is going to do a great job for you and, and help your company versus what they're doing on the market are sometimes mutually exclusive, right? Most of the time, yes. actually, right? Most of the time. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the industry analysts 
are looking at the financials mm. and going, is this a good investment or not? They don't see it yet. I think there is a lot of growth that the MSSPs, including SecureWorks, can can capture in our industry. So uh, I'll keep an eye on these. Semantic took a hit um, last quarter. Mm-hmm. And obviously, lots of rumors on the on the block right now. Is Broadcom going to buy Semantic? Yeah, you know, and they've we, been. I mean, they've been acquiring companies too. So, you know, it, it, to get to get those companies to contribute to the profitability and the numbers, right, takes time at that scale. So, that'd be my guess as to why they might have had a, a weaker quarter that affected their analyst ratings. Right, and now you see somebody like Broadcom coming in who bought CA last year, mm. now looking to snap up somebody like Semantic, and and. To Eric's point, if the deal goes through, it's probably a fifteen plus billion dollar acquisition. Sure. It would be the largest in our space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a uh, couple uh, best performers. I always like to who who performed best based on what the analyst said. Uh, Zscaler again. Zscaler performed mm-hmm. extremely well last quarter, and Splunk. Splunk uh, had a really good uh, Q1 of 2019. Worst performers: Veronis and Semantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, Kind of see why semantics uh, ratings are down. Um, so yeah, that that was kind of the public market of uh, uh, where the big companies are. Cool. One big IPO, as everybody knows, CrowdStrike, CrowdStrike. June twelfth. You should have um, got it. Everyone should have been in on that, right? But not everyone has a crystal ball either. <laughs> no, I mean, I you, look. We've tracked CrowdStrike for a long time. They were a sister company to Tenable. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always liked the the tech customers rave about what CrowdStrike does. They Their price range, I, so I, I pulled some numbers because I, I think this is interesting. The original IPO price range was $28 to $30 a share. It opened at $56 That's a share. Crazy. Okay, and then it closed on Friday at $73.50. So if you take the low end of the IPO range at 28, that means CrowdStrike is up 162.5% since its wow. IPO in a month. We'll see where it stays, though. Right. True. Because yeah. Well, and as we know from previous experiences, right, a lot you can't necessarily dump it all when you want to, right? There's your hands are tied depending on even depending on any kind of investment, right? Any kind of stock purchase, you might be locked in. Yeah, but there seems to be a lot of excitement about this stock, mm. and even with a six-month employee lockup. You know, the lockup period will come off uh, towards the end of the year. Yeah. You know, right around June 12th or uh, December 12th, sorry, mm-hmm. six months after their IPO. So later this year, we'll see what the stock does. But there seems to be a lot of interest in the stock right now. I think a lot of people like the model. It's a cloud based offering. Yep. Um, they're just getting a lot of great press. Uh, we did talk to Eric, you know, who's next from an IPO perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tanium's been hanging out there for a while. They have. He he mentioned a couple others. Uh, Sumo, Sumo Logic, Logic, I know, was uh, a couple of years ago at Black Hat. There was rumors that they were getting ready for IPO. Centrify, who we've talked to mm-hmm. in the past as well, um, looking to go. So there's a few others. Uh, Ping, Identity. Yep. You know, SailPoints had some really great quarters. I think uh, there is an opportunity for Ping at some point. Um, uh, you know, Andre, that was bought by private equity i think um I think a so. couple years ago yeah, so you're right if the market stays hot you could potentially see mm-hmm. ping coming out as an ipo which would be really interesting they're denver-based company here in colorado that would be a, a really nice local win right. uh 
for Colorado. Yeah. Uh, private companies, some interesting funding. As you heard from Eric on the last segment, we're at $5 billion in funding for the first six months of the year. Last year, we did $6.8 billion total for the entire wow. year. So we're on track to just crush it. Um, some of the big ones I was tracking, I, I told them I had a half a dozen. I have five over 100 million. Uh, no before was 300 million Series D. That's mm-hmm. a big round. It is. Sentinel-1, $120 million Series D. Sumo Logic, $110 million Series G. So notice that Series G, they're getting up there, right? Which mm. means they're probably right at that cusp of, you know, do you raise or do you do you go, you go IPO? Right. Yeah, CrowdStrike took $100 million, uh what, about six months or so before their IPO, mm-hmm. maybe a little longer than that. This might give us uh, a little idea on timeline for Sumo Logic, uh, based on that raise and looking at the historical CrowdStrike raise. I think CrowdStrike was about six to eight months before their IPO. So we, you know, maybe Sumo Logic's early next year if if they just raise another 110 and a G. Uh, Auth Zero was 103 million Series E, and then Vectra. 100 million Series D. So those were the big, big financing rounds last quarter. Uh, I, Sentinel One, I think, is really uh, one to watch as well. That's the one I believe I, I really like their technology, if I remember correctly. Uh, and they're on the endpoint side, similar to CrowdStrike. Um, but I've done some briefings with Sentinel One, and their their approach is really sound. So doesn't surprise me they're they're taking on more funding and such. Yeah, it'll be interesting now that you have CrowdStrike and Carbon Black Public. You know, who comes out next? A Sentinel One, a Tanium, what kind of valuation do they get? And what does that do to the endpoint market? Remember, you're only going to get probably so many exits on the endpoint side. And then the question is who's left not on the public side? It'll be interesting to see because there's still a lot of endpoint players um, that are private. Cool. Uh, some interesting acquisitions, uh, two sponsors to this program. So we had two, I think two last year, right, Paul? Uh, Javelin and mm-hmm. Laird Insight both got acquired last yep. year. We had two sponsors go through acquisition last quarter. So we might see some records this year, too. Uh, the big one was uh, Recorded Future by right. Insight Venture Partners for $780 yep. million. Eric mentioned them. Yeah. And, and remember, when Insight Venture Partners came into Tenable, about a $280 million uh, deal. And at the time, that was one of the largest funding rounds. Sure. This this is another $500 million on top of that. This is a huge, huge. acquisition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really what big. What was the other one? Um, there's a couple more in here. Uh, Twist Lock by Palo Alto was $410 yeah. million. Uh, that also got combined with the PureSec acquisition. I think the PureSec piece of that was smaller, so I didn't put it on this list. Yep. But... Twistlock at 410. I mean, that's a big number. Remember, I, I came out of Layered Insight in the container security space. Mm, there's to me, number. that's a huge valuation on that acquisition. And they've already started integrating them with their technology at Palo Alto. They've already been making plays, which I, you don't often see, actually, post-acquisition. Uh, it, they were actually pretty forthcoming with, this is how we're going to use this new technology with uh, Twistlock and, and PureSec. So making an application play in a big way. Yeah, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And that's that kind of shift you're seeing from the network players mm-hmm. into the space, which is interesting. 
One of your favorite companies, Veriden, by FireEye for $250 million. Nice. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was my pick for breach and attack uh, simulation. So I hope they, they keep pushing them and uh, continue to grow because the, their technology. And if you're an enterprise, my opinion was you're looking at breach and attack simulation. It's one of the stronger players uh, in that space. Yep. They got um, swallowed up by FireEye. Uh, Endgame, another sponsor yeah. by Elastic for two hundred thirty-four million. That was interesting because uh, Elastic is not necessarily security company. You don't. Th I mean, a lot of security tools and open source and are using their Elastic platform for security. Um, but to see them make an acquisition like that in security, I thought was was pretty telling and pretty big. Yeah, this reminds me of Splunk back in the day. Remember, mm -hmm. Splunk was really good on the logging side. Realized. They could put use this for security. Elastic, kind of the same thing, right? A lot of people use the Elk stack, mm -hmm. Elastic, Elasticsearch, Logstash, Kibana to build a sim-like solution. Elastic starting to take that core indexing capability and starting to move it into security use cases. Mm -hmm. Now they make a major acquisition like this with Endgame. It'll be interesting. It, it looks very Splunk-like to me in the way they're executing on some of this. Sweet. Yeah, and then uh, the last one, last biggie, uh, Red Seal by Symphony Technology Group for a hundred million. Now, and Red Seal was the one that changed CEOs earlier this year when we were at RSA. Was that was, was that, that Red different? Seal? I think that was Red Seal. They yeah, do the, like the uh, attack simulation via configuration kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. So, so I they got new leadership, and now now they're uh, acquired. So. Got acquired. Yeah, so I knew Red Seal back when I worked for RSA. Mm -hmm. Red Seal, Core, uh, Skybox. I looked at all of them when I was at RSA as potential right. acquisitions to fill in kind of between the Archer platform, GRC, mm -hmm. and the NetWitness platform, what we were doing in Log. And I saw a really interesting potential fit of bringing in some of that uh, simulation uh, configuration capabilities. I, I looked at all of them back then. Um, yeah, they made some changes uh, in the management structure. Then they get buy, bought out for $100 million. Um, interesting because my guess is that wasn't a really good valuation because Red Seal's been around for a while, and I think they've raised some good good funds since. But hopefully the technology can move forward. They, they've done some really interesting things on overlaying vulnerabilities through the network path to look for pinch points in the network. But maybe there's newer technology that does it better now. I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while, but... Um, acquisition nonetheless. Cool. Uh, a couple hot, hot startups I wanted to cover. So uh, you, a couple of these we know. Uh, Edgewise just raised uh, 11 million Series A, zero trust micro segmentation. They are a sponsor. And the more I work ours. with Edgewise, the more I just, I really love their solution. I really do. Yeah, so they're doing this zero trust micro segmentation where they can control. It's to the application, right? It's mm -hmm. the ability for users to work with certain applications and and trying to create a, a zero trust boundary around those apps, right? Yeah, it's, they've made some uh, huge improvements. Uh, Peter was on the show a few weeks ago uh, and was telling us about some of the things. Yeah, it's just it's awesome. It's the right approach. Really smart people there. Yeah. Uh, Prevalian, I believe you interviewed Karim. Sounds familiar, yeah. Evidence of compromise, mm -hmm. right? They were out looking for command and control. Yes. Yeah, I think you interviewed them on ESW when I was on vacation. Mm -hmm. But they just got 
uh, Series A funding. Uh, very interesting technology detecting command and control traffic. Sweet. And then, and then the last one on my list was DeepWatch, which is a managed security service provider that spun out of GuidePoint Security. Yes. So at InfoSec World, we went over and, and stopped in to mm -hmm. see these guys, and that's when we learned that they were part of GuidePoint Security. Well, now they've been funded as a separate entity outside of GuidePoint to continue to deliver on their managed security services offering. Yeah, and I, I think that market will continue to grow. You'll see some consolidation there as my guess uh, as well. Yeah, I, I think the MSSP market continues to grow for a while. Um, you got some new entrants and you've got some, some big legacy public mm -hmm. companies out there. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, so that's all I had, Paul, for this week. Awesome. That's a great update. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.